0: It's Nathan and this is day 88 of the Bible in 90 days. Today we're finishing up James and then moving through 1st and 2nd Peter, 1st, 2nd and 3rd John, as well as Jude. Let's begin in James 4, where the author confronts selfishness and arrogance. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You do not have because you do not ask God When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. James continues his strong warning about friendship with the world, declaring anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. His solution? Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. He then counsels, brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Finally, James addresses an arrogant attitude of certainty about tomorrow's prospects of carrying on business and making money, encouraging an attitude instead of humility demonstrated by the phrase, if it is the Lord's will. We will live and do this or that. James 5, by the way, a chapter well worth reading, continues the author's warnings to the wealthy. Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. This wealth had been gained through the oppression of others. Then James offers encouragement to the faithful be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. Following this is counsel centered around prayer. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. And this too, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And with that, we're heading into First Peter First Peter begins, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. His first major emphasis, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This hope sustained believers in the face of difficult trials, which would prove the genuineness of your faith. Peter then notes how the prophets of old had anticipated and searched out the coming of the Messiah, and even angels longed to look into these things. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. And be holy in all you do. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you are redeemed, but with the precious blood of Christ. Peter then encourages his readers to love one another deeply from the heart. 1 Peter 2, another chapter well worth reading, begins, Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. This is because, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. Peter also informs the believers, you are a chosen people, that you may declare the praises of him who called you. Peter then urges the believers to live such good lives among the pagans that they may see your good deeds and glorify God. He also encourages submission for the Lord's sake to every human authority. This is followed by counsel to slaves whom he encourages by pointing to the example of Jesus. 1 Peter 3 begins with counsel to wives to submit themselves to their husbands and to focus on adorning the inner self with the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. Then counsel is given to husbands. In the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect. Then he gives general counsel. All of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Repay evil with blessing. Because of this, you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. In his general counsel, he notes further, It is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. This attitude would reflect Christ's love who suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. 1 Peter 4 begins with Peter observing, Since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. Christians would suffer abuse on account of their loyalty to Christ, but the abusers will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Peter continues his guidance, To the church, with the end of all things is near, therefore be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. He also encourages the church to use their spirit given gifts. The remainder of the chapter returns again to the topic of suffering, instructing believers not to be surprised by it, but instead to rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. First Peter 5 offers guidance to the elders. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. And to the younger, submit yourselves to your elders then to the whole church. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. He also warns them to be alert and sober because the devil prowls around like a roaring lion. The chapter and book concludes Peace to All of You Who Are in Christ Jesus. 2 Peter 1, by the way, a chapter well worth reading, begins, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. Then Peter observes, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Paul proceeds to encourage the believers to make every effort to grow in the faith, ultimately becoming mature in love. Peter also declares, I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. Noting that because his death was approaching, he wanted to ensure the church was well-grounded. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. The chapter ends by affirming the reliability and importance of Scripture. At the same time, Peter warns the church in the second chapter that there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies. Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. Peter then cites several examples which serve to demonstrate that the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. Peter then speaks further about the bold and arrogant false teachers who are like unreasoning animals, warning that they will be paid back with harm for the harm they have done. 2 Peter 3, by the way, another chapter well worth reading, finds the apostle wrapping things up, doubling down on the caution against false teachers Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. He notes specifically that they would call into question the promise of Christ's coming, to which he countered, Do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Believers are then encouraged to live holy and godly lives, making every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. He also includes this fascinating comment about Paul. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand. With that we're on to First John, and the first chapter is well worth reading. John begins there in chapter 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. Their ultimate objective is so that you also may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. He then expands on the message, specifically noting that if we claim to have fellowship with Him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. He notes that fellowship results from walking in the light, And the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from all sin. John then warns that no one can rightly claim to have no sin, but that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 2 begins, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He then comes to his central point. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Several lines are then devoted to explaining his purpose for writing to various constituents in his audience. The chapter then continues with warning the believers, do not love the world or anything in the world because the world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. John then warns specifically about the coming Antichrist, as well as Antichrists that have already come, noting, I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. 1 John 3 begins, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. This status as children of God anticipated that when Christ appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. John then comes back to the topic of sin. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. His discussion on sin continues for several lines, including... The one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. The author then specifically identifies that this means loving one another, which is the message you heard from the beginning. As an example of such love, John points to Jesus. He also addresses conscience and God's superiority over conscience. God is greater than our hearts. The chapter ends with a kind of summary statement. This is His command, to believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as He commanded us. This is followed by noting that those who keep God's commands have the Spirit. 1 John 4, by the way, a chapter well worth reading, finds the author counseling the church to test the spirits to see whether they are from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Those who speak truth can be identified by whether or not they acknowledge that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. After this, John turns again to his central point. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. This love is demonstrated by Jesus' atoning sacrifice for our sins. John continues reinforcing his teaching on love through the rest of the chapter. 1 John 5 finds the author addressing the connection between faith in Christ and obedience. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. John then speaks more specifically to the Incarnation, including these lines. This is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. John wraps up the book with some final affirmations, including, This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. The final lines of the chapter simply affirm the believer's faith, including, we know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. And now to 2 John. By the way, a book well worth reading. It's only 13 verses. And it especially affirms the need for love to one another. And this is love, that we walk in obedience to His commands. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. This teaching is threatened by deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. Anyone who welcomes them shares in their wicked work. Near the end of the book, John writes, I hope to visit you and talk with you face to face so that our joy may be complete. And then third John By the way, only 14 verses. It's well worth reading as it's so short. It's written to Gaius, of whom John notes, gave me great joy when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth, telling how you continue to walk in it. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. The letter is one of encouragement, including... We ought, therefore, to show hospitality to such people, that is, fellow missionaries, so that we may work together for the truth. A note of caution is made regarding a certain Diotrephes, who loves to be first and will not welcome us. He also stops those who want to do so, that is, welcome other believers, and puts them out of the church. John encourages Gaius to imitate good, and then mentions a Demetrius who is well spoken of by everyone. And that's pretty much it for 3 John. Now on to Jude. Jude is a brother of James and writes to a general audience, to those who have been called, who are loved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. While a bit longer than 2nd or 3rd John, it's still only 25 verses and bears similarities to 2nd Peter. Expressing his deep Motivation, Jude writes, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. He warns of false teachers who have secretly slipped in among you. He then reminds the church of the judgment that has fallen on the wicked in the past, serving as an example of coming judgment. Continuing his critique of these people who slander whatever they do not understand, he notes they... Are blemishes at your love feasts, eating with you without the slightest qualm, shepherds who feed only themselves. And then, a few lines later, These are the people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the Spirit. But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love. And... Be merciful to those who doubt. The final lines of the text are worth quoting in full. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. And that's all for today.